As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Turkey Football League show, the Thursday edition. Derby's double deduction. Reading hit for six. New Barnsley boss Poyers to take charge. And there are two Matt Taylors in League Two, but only one on this podcast. In association with Paddy Power, this is the Totally Football League show. Welcome along then, uh, listener. It's uh, an MMA theme in the pod today, by which I mean the initials of the people on it. I'm Matt. Michelle Owens here too. Hi, Michelle. Hey, Matt. Adrian Clark's with us as well. How you doing, Clarky? Hello, yeah, all good. Looking forward to the return of the championship. We'll preview some of the games going on later this weekend, later in the pod. First, though, let's talk some news. Uh, Derby deducted another nine points, whilst Reading have been docked six with a further six suspended. We'll talk about Reading later in our previews. Uh, but Derby-wise, Michelle, uh, that's their season all but kibosh now, isn't it? it they looked as though they were, they were going to make a decent fist of it, but, but this is surely too much. They're on minus three points now, 18 from safety. Oh, I don't see how you bounce back from this. Um, if you look at the bottom of the table, minus three points and the gap to Peterborough, they're on 15. It's just no way back for Derby Shawnee from here. If they were to do something, if they were to stay up, I honestly think it would be a bigger miracle than when Leicester won the Premier League. You know, that's that's how big a miracle Derby, Derby County need. Um, I've got no sort of direct connection to the club, but I just feel so bad for their fans because... It's completely out of their hands, everything that's happened, you know, with the administrators being appointed, the financial situation. And they've made such a good fist of it on the eve of the season, didn't even have a fully assembled squad. I've spent some time with Curtis Davis when he's been doing Sky this season. He's told me all about the young players. And it sounds a really positive place to be, but I cannot begin to imagine what it was like going to training the next day because they know their fate is almost sealed. I'm, I want to give them a slim chance, but I can't see it happening. And... It's just gutting for them. You know, I'm, I'm doing Derby and Bournemouth on, on Sunday. It's going to be interesting to see what the reaction of the crowd is and things. But Wayne Rooney's spoken brilliantly since then. Credit to him and credit for the job he's done so far. Clarky, from a, a player's point of view, 
I guess there'll be a couple of camps. If you're one of those who thinks, right, come January, I'm likely to be sold. And if not at the end of the season, it's probably easy to get your head around. But if you're somebody in the Derby squad who's not going to attract suitors necessarily and is therefore going to be there for the rest of this season and probably next, how's your mentality this morning? You must be absolutely crushed. Do you know what? I think it's easier than you think for players to deal with, genuinely. And I... I, 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 I feel that most of them will probably be gone within 12 to 24 months anyway, because we know that contracts are pretty short these days. And if you are a saleable asset, you will be sold. So it doesn't affect as many players as you would imagine. And of those those that you speak of that, that maybe wouldn't attract anybody, then then you would probably have to say that they're fringe players anyway and that their place would be more secure next season, albeit at the lower level. So they might become more integral part of that first team environment. The players get their wages, no matter what, they're protected as well, aren't they? So for me, it's it's all about the staff. They will be really, really worried about their jobs. Job security will, will be a nightmare there. And, and for the fans, obviously, it's difficult because... That everything's out of their hands, as Michelle says. But for the players themselves, they will garner sympathy. And yeah, it's not that easy. But the bottom line is, the majority will either be gone or better off next season because of what's happened. And and for the remainder of this campaign, the pressure's off. Michelle's talked about it. So it'd be a bigger miracle, or as big a miracle as Leicester winning the title. In that kind of scenario, you can go out there and enjoy your football. And, and and play with a bit more freedom, maybe. So, yeah, I'd say the, the players uh, are among the least affected. As ever, then, it kind of falls on the supporters, Michelle. I guess if we wanted to give any Derby fans listening a, a crumb of comfort, you, you could look to the case of Wigan. You know, it's not that long ago we were talking about whether they would even survive. And, and now look at them. They're one of the biggest spending clubs in League One and, and flying in that division. So depending on who comes in next, and obviously they're very different cases, but it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, the end of the world. No, I, you just, I think Adrian's hit the nail on the head. Just, I feel like everything is going to change now. You know, if and when they go to League One, the playing personnel are going to change. I worry for the staff there. That must be horrible, you know, with families to support and and that sort of thing. But the infrastructure of the club is probably going to change. And what they have on day one of next season is a completely different side to what started this season. But that can be exciting and that can be a new opportunity. I don't see Wayne Rooney being there if they're in League One, to be honest. So a lot, I would imagine, would change. Maybe he'll stick with them, but... A lot's going to change. I mean, coming up, they've got Bournemouth and Fulham. So if they were to get two results there, imagine what that would do for morale when it's on the floor at the moment. And then they've got some more favourable fixtures, you'd say, coming up, but some tricky ones as well. I mean, the championship, you just can't predict anything. But yeah, they're playing the top two next as it stands. And if they were to get anything against them, then I think that would do a lot to boost spirits around the club. But my thoughts, like Adrian, are just with everyone behind the scenes too. Well, Matt Slater has got a piece over on The Athletic about how every championship club is, at least to some extent, for sale. Go and have a read of that if you like. Theathletic.com slash leagues show is the place to go for a third off the price of a subscription. 
All right, listeners to the Totally Football Show will know our next guest from that particular podcast. If, like me and Adrian, your favourite outlet for Swedish sports news is Aftonbladet, then you'll know Frida Fagerland from there too. Frida joins us now to talk about Poya Asbagi, who is the new Barnsley boss. Um, Frida, thanks for joining us. First of all, have I got his name right there? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, I think that was pretty good. Um, thank you for having me. I think it's Poya Asbagi, we usually say, so, but you know, it's Iranian, so I'm not you know, 100% sure, but I think that's all right. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing it said in a, in a Barnsley accent, I've got to say. Um, so he's coming in from, from the Sweden under-21 side, and it's been a very, very successful role for him, as it was in, in club football with Gothenburg before that. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think so. It's always very hard to tell, I feel, with the under-21 national team. But, yeah, I mean, he's... His background is is fairly unique in comparison to most Swedish football coaches, I guess. Like I said, he was born in Iran, moved to Sweden with his family as a one-year-old, got himself into some trouble with the law as a young adult, but seemed to have gotten on the right path later in life, studied economics at university and basically became a football coach despite having minimal playing experience himself. And I still remember when he sort of got his breakthrough in Sweden, which was back in 2017. And he was considered as this modern, exciting coach that could potentially revolutionize Swedish football. You know, we don't produce that many world-class football coaches. You know, it's been a while since Sven-Jörn Eriksson was at his peak. And funnily enough, when Ashbagi was appointed by IFK Gothenburg back in 2018, Sven's name was mentioned a lot during the press conference since that was the club where he got his breakthrough as a coach and many predicted that something similar would happen to Ashbagi and it started off pretty well. I even think he got nominated as coach of the year in Allsvenskan 2019 but 2020 was a complete mess. If I remember correctly, they were winless in 13 games or something like that. Very unorganised in the defence didn't score enough goals. But still some people um, on the board wanted to keep Ashbagi and didn't feel like he was to blame for the bad results. But yeah, in the end he got sacked, went on to working as a national coach of the Swedish under-21 team and yeah, here we are. <laughs> did, did Barnsley seek him out, do you know? Or was he actively looking for, for jobs in England? I think they seeked him out. If you look at the hierarchy at Barnsley... It's not that strange that he was appointed. You have the CEO, Khalid Al-Ahmed, who is the former scouting manager at Jurgården, another Swedish club. You have David Vernersson, club secretary. So the Swedish connections are definitely there. Although I think it's a bold move. Um, I mean, this is not an easy task, which surely Ashbagi must understand. And I do think that some people are quite surprised that he left his role with the under-21 national team. It's just such a secure environment to work in. But yeah, I guess this shows that he's very ambitious and that he wants to gain more club experience in a challenging environment. Frida, the Barnsley chief executive said that he has a clear tactical philosophy. What What is that? clear tactical philosophy I mean, I'm just thinking that if he was seen as a, a revolutionary coach potentially in Sweden that he plays a, an attractive style of football because let's be honest Barnsley's most successful campaign 
for many, many years under Valerian Ishmael was basically all about booming it as far as you could upfield and, and looking to to score from free kicks and corners. What, what sort of coach is he? I mean, the first thing, the, the, the first word that comes to mind is probably control. His philosophy is to take control of game through possession. But at the same time, I do feel like he's one of those coaches who is quite flexible. He decides how his teams are going to play and what formation, uh, depending on what players he has at his disposal. But it's very difficult how to say how well he's going to do in, in England. I feel like his assistant coach, Ferran Sibila, is highly qualified. And I think those two together are a very good team. They know football very well. But this is a completely different culture and a com completely different challenge to what they faced previously. But on Sibila, because he's quite interesting, he was appointed as caretaker of IFK Gothenburg when Ashbagi was sacked, which became an odd situation because Sibila and Ashbagi were known as the married couple. Uh, they were that close. <laughs> so I'm not surprised that, that they are going to work, be working together again. Um, and like I said, I, I, I think they're both highly competent football coaches. But it's very difficult to say how well they would do um, over here in England. Frida, I was just, just wondering, you know, if he had such a cushy job with the under-21s in Sweden, he's coming into a team that have lost seven in a row in the championship. Why? Why, why does he fancy this challenge? Is it just to have the opportunity in English football? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I can't think of any other explanation. Like I said, I think personally that it's a very bold move. Um, it's just such an, I guess it's, yeah, it's just such a nice position to have being the coach of the under-21 national team. And I also think that's usually a pretty good way of becoming, you know, the, the main national coach eventually. And I do still think that he probably has a very bright future in, in terms of, you know, potentially becoming the new national coach, if he does well. But yeah, this is, this is such a big challenge. And I'm not really sure. I mean, I, I, I would love to just speak to him and really understand what made him so attracted to this opportunity. But yeah, I definitely think that he... He feels that he wants to get some more experience and what better way to do than to take on this challenge. Yeah, we'll find out if that was a good idea or not mm -hmm. soon enough. Um, Frida, thank you so much for joining us today. That was great. Thank you. Frida Fargal and there. Well, Michelle, it's, it's a left field appointment and, and even um, Frida's kind of admitted as much from, from both sides. Barnsley do love that kind of thing. I guess in a way... They're less likely to go down because of what's happened elsewhere this week and, and they might as well roll the dice or should they have gone back to, I don't know, some tried and trusted Neil Warnock type? Yeah, but they don't, haven't done that of late, have they, at all? So, yeah, it's a bit of a... I don't want to say random because they've obviously done their research and, and gone and found him and, and he's interested, but, I mean, Marcus Schopp hasn't really worked out, but Valerian Ishmael, do many people know who he was? Uh, Gerhard Struber did a good job. Before that, there was Daniel Stendhal. And... Also, Jose Murray was there, wasn't wasn't he? So they don't go for your usual appointments that you might associate with a championship club in trouble. Whether it works or not, I'll be honest, I've got no idea because I don't know enough about him. 
Um, but it's another interesting one. I think I'm doing the Barnsley game on Boxing Day, so be a chance to have a look close up um, what his tactics are. It sounds from what Frieda said, he sort of goes with who he's got at his disposal rather than a set way of playing. That's the vibe I got. But yeah, if I'm a Barnsley fan, I'm wondering what's next? What are we going to get here? Uh, another managerial point, Stevenage will not be getting Steve Evans as their head coach. He was speaking to the media on Thursday morning and said the chairman had turned down the request from Stevenage. I have a meeting later today with the chairman, not just to discuss that, but everyone knows my contract's up at the end of the season. He's obviously not happy, Clark. He's got nine fit senior players at the moment. And the fact that he was considering leaving uh, for Stevenage, who looked to all intents and purposes like they're going to spend the season in the bottom of League Two, or certainly there or thereabouts, would tell you that one way or another, he's not going to be Gillingham manager much longer. You wouldn't have thought so. The two big personalities, aren't they, with Scally there as well. It's um, They're always going to clash. But but yeah, it was a really interesting interview the other the other day that, that was doing the rounds on, on the internet about him basically saying that he's not motivated by anyone at the club. You know, you've got to motivate the motivator was what he said. And yeah, it was a, it was clearly a dig, wasn't it? The hierarchy to, to, to give him a reason to stay and uh, be interesting to see. I wouldn't mind being a fly on the wall at that meeting. Um, I think the Gillingham chairman is going to have to convince, if he wants Steve to stay, he's going to have to convince him that he will get ammunition to go out there and sign Sign new players, better players moving forwards. Otherwise, Evans' head will be turned next time, even if if this one hasn't come off for him. Another piece of news is that the Football League season will start in July of next year. The Championship will stop during the group stages of the World Cup. Leagues 1 and 2 will carry on where possible. The Championship will continue after the group stages. What a ridiculous idea having a World Cup in Qatar is. I think is all we need to say about that, really. (laughs) All right, next we're going to hear from the Exeter City manager, Matt Taylor. So, Mr Ferguson, what's troubling you? Well, you see, uh, I've started this new personal security company. Right, and uh, have you got any clients so far? Only one. Uh, We all eh? But uh, I feel he's going to get taken out soon. Sometimes there's only so much you can do. But with Paddy Power, you can secure your future with our great offer. Get money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Paddy Power! Pre-match bet builder bets only. Min odds 1 to 5 per leg. Min 4 plus legs. Max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds on an exclusive T's and C supply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org You're listening to the Totally Football League Show. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. It's been a magnificent start to the season for Exeter City, riding high in the League Two table, and they thought they'd book their place in the second round of the FA Cup. A 3-0 win for them against Bradford midweek. The morning after that, we spoke to Matt Taylor. Later on that day, it was revealed that Exeter had made a sixth substitution. Only five were permitted. We wondered if maybe they'd be thrown out of the competition. As it stands, they will have to replay the game Instead, uh, Matt Taylor didn't know that at the time we spoke to him. So here he is on the Grecian's recent greatness and sounding pretty chipper too. Matt, congratulations. We're speaking the morning after the 3-0 win against Bradford in the Cup. Went the distance, which I'm guessing is not ideal, but it also extends this incredible unbeaten run to, to 19 matches. So I'm guessing you're pretty happy. Yeah, really happy. Look at, I think, a few tired bodies this morning. Um, probably for both sides, it was a hell of a game of football. Um 
90 minutes of a, an arm wrestle. Um, and then we just got a little bit stronger towards that extra time period and a little bit of quality showed and, and dominated the last 30 minutes of the game. But um, it was it was nip and tuck up until that point. Um, Bradford are a fantastic team at this level. So we always knew it was going to be a tough test. Um, and we just hope we've come through it relatively well in terms of the bodies because um, all our focus now is going towards this weekend. Today is a recovery day then, presumably, is it? Yeah, look, the lads playing such a shift last night. That there's a few in the, the physio room, unfortunately, um, getting bits and pieces and, you know, a bit of recovery processes, which we always go through. Um, but generally they have the day off because, you know, similar to, to managers and a lot of players, um, they probably don't sleep too well when the adrenaline's so high. It was an emotional night, um, just on the structure, the, the setup of the game being such a tight affair and then to have that freedom towards the end. And the fact that it was well attended, um, despite the attendances in the FA Cup being poor so far this season, we, we still got a, a good crowd in there and, and they got right behind the boys. So great to see the celebrations at the end. Um, but we quickly put that one in the bag and, and focus on what's next um, and see who's fit and available tomorrow going into the weekend. But you touched upon it there, that the confidence is in a, a good place at the moment but that's only on the back of the recent run of form yeah and I guess Matt Jay kind of epitomizes that maintaining his his hot streak with two brilliant goals on on Tuesday night how good is he and, and how surprised are you that, that nobody's coming to try and prize him away from you I'm sure they will do. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that's to come at some stage. Um, look, MJ had his, his breakthrough season as such last season. Um, sounds strange because he scored 20 goals last season and was our player of the season by, by an absolute mile. Um, but he had to be patient and wait for that opportunity. Um, and it's, it was always a question whether or not he could back it up or if not improve on that. And he's certainly doing that at the moment. Um, I think he's already on 12 so far this season. Captaining the team, uh, leading the team, um, leading by example. And he's... His finishing is is absolutely outstanding for the level of football. Um, for such a diminutive and, and small player, um, he doesn't get involved in too much of, of the play in the middle of the pitch and, and can often get caught up in the mess which is lead to football. But if there's ever a player who works well in space and around the 18-yard box, then, it, then it's, it's MJ. Um, and you saw his finishes last night and he's, he's just grown and grown and grown in, in, in confidence in relation to finishing. And he's scoring different types of goals as well. Not just the, the six-yard box, the poachers' goals. He's, he's hit it from the outside of the box. He even scored a back post header a couple of weeks ago. So he's adding a, a bigger range of goals to his tally. And do you think that front three of him and him non-Bay and Brown might be the difference for you this year and, and get you over the line in terms of promotion? Well, we've got to keep him fit, first and foremost. We've got to keep him at the club. You just touched upon it there. I'm sure there's going to be interest in, in not just MJ, but various players at, at the football club. So keep him fit, keep him available, um, keep him fresh, keep him in form. Um, obviously, Sam's had a good run of form. Um, MJ's been on good form. Giovanni got his first goal at the weekend. I think Giovanni's got the most assists outside the, the Premier League and Championship, which shows they're all contributing. Um, but they're three important players amongst others. So we've got a real strong system and setup, and I think one thing which is probably not being documented too much is that our flexibility throughout this run has been in formation, um, in point personnel, the strength of the squad. But our principles of play haven't really changed at any stage. We, we, we're pretty flexible in terms of flipping from a three to a four at the back, um, which frees up certain personnel, gets extra bodies at, in different places on the football pitch, and a lot of different players so far have contributed. Rightly so, MJ will get the headlines and Sam Nombe will get the headlines, um, but there's a lot of contributions elsewhere on the pitch which can't go underestimated. You mentioned that tactical flexibility there. Is, is that something that you feel like you're developing as you go on as a manager? Not well, not really. I mean, we've always used it extra, um, and it probably goes before my time in terms of Paul Tisdale, who was almost famous for his tactical knowledge um, and his ability to change a game at different stages, um, even early on in games, flipping from a back three to a back four and, and changing formation um, to affect the opposition and to strengthen the team. 
Um, so it's almost been in our upbringing as a club um, and almost being, being in these academy players especially. Um, it's a natural thing for them to do and it, it doesn't feel strange when it does happen. So keeping the play, players feeling comfortable at any stage during the game is absolutely vital to our, our recent form. But it's a, a strong aspect to our play because it means if we need to find different openings or different space on the pitch, then we can change an instant. And probably with the same person on the pitch as well. So um, the, the fact that we can do that is a real strong aspect because in all of these games and throughout this run, we've never been too far ahead and we've never been too far behind. And it's been such fine margins, which is important to say that it could easily go either way. We might have a, a run where we struggle for a little while because this league is so, so competitive. We were talking about your current strikers, Ollie Watkins, somebody who's still kind of having an effect, I think, at the club because of the, the really clever way that you structured that transfer. It means there's been a couple of payouts as, as he's progressed in his career. Is that has that been a big benefit to you? Or do you, do you feel when you go looking for a player that, that clubs maybe ramp up the prices because they think that you've got that windfall? Um, it's an interesting point. Look, I can't take too much credit. For, for the Ollie Watkins situation um, and, and his, his his departure to to Brentford at the time. Obviously, Paul Tizzo was manager. I was on the coaching staff, but but Paul and Stevie Perryman produced a fantastic deal for the football club, financially beneficial at the time when he moved to Brentford. And then obviously the big sell on when he when he went to the Premier League with Aston Villa and international appearances on top of that. So similar to what you mentioned, he's he's, he's produced so much money for this football club. Um, and then testament we must go to Paul and, and Stephen and Julian Tag in relation to the deal which was done back then. And that's allowed us to progress as a football club. Um, the investment from Ollie Watkins and other players who we've sold has gone back into the club. We, we're due to get a new training ground or new training ground building next season, um, which we're really, really looking forward to and, and we really need. But the point about does it affect how people view us as a football club? It probably works both ways because I think it means that our players are more financially um, feasible in terms of or more financially um, able to be sold at a higher price based on our reputation than maybe actual the product on the pitch at times, um, simply due to that reputation of producing good young players who've gone on to achieve great things in the past and will continue to do so. But it also does put the market at a difficult position because it means we can only attract a certain type of players um, and a player who's ready for an opportunity who's maybe not had it elsewhere. Um, so we very rarely get the the finished article and the hardened ones who, who generally the ones who get you promoted and get your success on the weekend. Sam Nombe is a prime example of that wasn't getting game time at MK, had the opportunities alone else alone movers elsewhere. But he was a player we wanted to invest in as long as he invested in ourselves. And I'm sure what happens in the future with the likes of Sam and MJ and other Academy projects and other young players at the club will be a reflection on on us as a development club. But hopefully we can go get a little bit of a success alongside that. You're back in league action this weekend, Carlisle at St James's Park. Obviously, very contrasting form between the pair of you, which on paper makes you think, well, you'd be confident of getting the points. I just wonder how difficult it is, though, to prepare for a game like that against a team with a a relatively new manager. So, you know, not necessarily a set way of playing yet. Exactly that. Um, A new manager, I think he's probably three, possibly four games into his his tenure there. Um, So they'll be working out new ideas and and new philosophies and new styles and new patterns of play. Um, And we're off on the back of um, the 120 minutes last night. Um, you, you can't look too much into the form guide in League Two. We had it with, with Oldham last weekend who provided a real stern test. 
and we were fortunate to come through that, you know, with the, the scoreline that we did. So it's that sort of league where anyone beats anyone. And on the day, there's a lot of good players in, it in each and every squad and setup. So we won't take that, this one lightly. Um, but it might have helped our situation, the fact that we won't be able to do too much training going into the game. Um, it will just be a case of picking the, the freshest bunch we've got on the back of last night, see who's physically and mentally in, in the right position to go and put out a, a huge effort again. And it'll be another scrap. It'll be another war, um, a battle for a certain amount of time. And hopefully a bit of quality will show through at a certain stage. Well, wouldn't you just know it? As soon as we finished recording, it was announced that Exeter aren't being thrown out the FA Cup. They're not being allowed to progress to round two and face Cambridge. Instead, they're going to have to replay the game against Bradford that they won 3-0 in midweek. Um, Michelle, this strikes me as a rather unsatisfactory result for everybody, Bradford included. Oh, So Bradford have got to go all the way back down to Exeter to replay a game, which... They lost handsomely in the end, although it was close to extra time. And it's just another fixture to add to an already congested fixture list. I mean, they said after considering all their options, uh, the results shouldn't stand. And this is the appropriate action. But I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I reckon just give Bradford three goals in the game, which makes it three all. They meet on a neutral ground and have a quick penalty shootout to decide it. That's what I would have done. <laughs> Villa Park, just because that was always the home for um, yeah. the go-to neutral ground. Um, who, who do you think is going to be more annoyed about this out of Matt Taylor and Derek Adams? Derek Adams, because it's not it's quite a long way, Bradford Twexter, and it's just another one to fit in. I mean, it's a nice chance to, to play again and potentially get that nice big draw in the future, but it's just something else to do, isn't it, during the season? It's unnecessary, all because someone didn't get their, their sums right. I mean, Bradford Twexter, hold on, let me put it in Google Maps. How far is it? It is four hours and 45 minutes. I mean, the Bradford fans, who's going to do that again? On a That's Tuesday incredible. night. On a Tuesday, a cold Tuesday evening at the end of November. I don't think it's ideal for anyone, but I think Exeter have got the, the better draw there for sure. I'm struggling to, to wonder who to pin most blame on for this FA Cup mix-up because obviously a team should know how many substitutions they've made, but shouldn't the fourth official know that too? And is it up to him? Maybe he knew him and just thought, well, this isn't my job to tell you that you've Already used your five subs. But why is the fourth official there then? No, like, what, what's the point? I don't, I, to be shouted at? Yeah. yeah. Other than that, not much. But uh, it's also, right, if you're the, what was it, the sixth sub coming on, you know there's been five subs, right? Because if I'm a player, I'm sat there thinking, I'm not coming on tonight. I'll put my coat back on. I'll take my shin pads off, put my trainers on, whatever you do on the bench. But that player would have known, surely, that they were the sixth sub. Like, that's what blows my mind. Like, I'm sure Clarkie will say, like, when he was a professional footballer, on the rare occasion he was on the bench, when the three subs were up, he knew he could go and grab a cup of tea. Like, that is what gets me about this so much. That player must have known that the subs were all gone. But, yeah, I mean, look, five subs, OK, maybe it's not that easy to keep a track of as, as a three, but quite incredible. It was such a, a thrashing of Bradford for them as well. And... You know, without that sub, they probably would have still won the game, wouldn't they? So, um, just madness. And when things like this happen in professional football, it blows my tiny mind. <laughs> they did. In fairness, they did score the goals in extra time, so maybe it, it did make yeah, for a, fresh legs. I know because it was a, 100 minutes and 115 for the goals, wasn't it? But yeah, uh, <laughs> it's another reason to get rid of five subs. It, it's not going to be. Uh, eradicated that they're bringing it in aren't they universally I think moving forward so I just don't like it <laughs> it's too easy to lose count um, but now on this I, I genuinely think it should 
should be the responsibility of the officials and that they're the ones that should be punished, not not Exeter City. Well, that is the decision. One thing's for certain, we will see a different fourth official that night, one would (laughs) assume. All right, we'll look ahead to the standout fixtures in the EFL next. Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The weekend of the championship gets underway in West London on Friday night where QPR hosts Luton Town in the Sand Park in Derby. Uh, we're going to focus on the game between Middlesbrough and Millwall at the Riverside though. This is the first game as Borough boss for Chris Wilder. Uh, Adrian, what do you think are some of the, the key elements he'll be looking to change from, from how they have been setting up and playing under Neil Warnock to, to what he's looking for? I'll, I'll give you bonus points if you don't use the phrase overlapping centre-back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would imagine, wouldn't you, that they're going to go to, to a back three on a regular basis. I think they've, they've sort of flitted, haven't they, uh, under, under Neil Warnock. So, so, yeah, that's one clear change he likes to use the width of the pitch the wing backs are very very important to Chris Wilder teams no doubt about that yeah it's interesting pretty a front a front too he, he likes to to pair strikers doesn't he at the at the top end of the pitch they have been doing that of late Neil Warnock has been playing 3-5-2 so so it's not that much of a departure no there's not that much wrong at, at Middlesbrough is there really I don't think Neil Warnock would have been fired for for poor performances. I think it's just that they saw the opportunity to make the change. So not that much needs to be done apart from get a load of their best players fit and available again. When when Middlesbrough have their full complement of players fit and available, I think it's a squad that's as strong, if not stronger, than the one that Wilder had at Sheffield United and, and took up to the Premier League. I, I don't see a lot in it. So... On the basis of that, I think there's reasons for, for great optimism around the Riverside. They've got themselves a really good manager. Yeah, he wants to make the Riverside an intimidating place for opponents to come. He said, it isn't going to be Galatasaray, welcome to hell, but it's a fabulous stadium. I don't want anybody coming here and getting an easy win. Uh, he set to sign Neil Taylor on a free in January. Back-to-back home games against Millwall and Preston. Then away to Huddersfield looks like a decent first three uh, for their Millwall-wise, Michelle, start the weekend in ninth, only a point outside the playoffs. Uh, but they're, they're one of those under-the-radar teams, which I feel like there's a lot of in the championship. If you're not outside, if you're not inside the playoff places and you're not currently facing a point deduction, then people don't talk about you too much. Uh, what do they need to do to go from, from playoff chases to promotion contenders? I think just keep doing what they're doing. They've only lost one of their last five. The, the story with them last season, as you know, was... It was far, far too many draws. But, you know, they're getting far more wins this season. I think the Sheffield United win was was massive for them. Um, And they've been on a a decent run before the international break. They lost to Huddersfield, which I found really surprising. But then Huddersfield have been doing pretty well of late as well. But it's so congested, as always, I think, at this time of the season. It's so congested in that middle pack. And themselves and up to sort of Blackburn are leading the way to to get into those playoff places. You know, they get three points at the weekend and other results go their way. They're in there and we're talking about them next week being in the top six. So they're not doing anything wrong, really. I think Gary Rowett's doing a fantastic job there. They keep it quite tight at the back. I think they've been flitting between a three and a four at the back from what I've seen. Um, Yeah, that's 
That's it. That's my instruction to Millwall, more of the same. They don't score that many goals is the, is the only thing I'd say, like looking at their results, you know. They're never ones to go and smash three or four in regularly. And when you look at the likes of sort of free-flowing football that Bournemouth and Fulham play at times, they're a little way off that, obviously. But to be in the playoffs, you don't necessarily need to do that, do you, Clarkie? You don't, no, no. But um, I'm just fl- flipping this round to, to the Middlesbrough angle again. If Middlesbrough were to overcome Millwall, who are a solid team, top half team, it would be the first top half team they've beaten this season. So that is that is a the next challenge, isn't it, for Chris Wilder to make them more competitive against the the division's best. So yeah, even though Millwall probably aren't regarded as as huge promotion favourites or anything, they they are one of the better teams in the division. And I think if Wilder can win this, it might just give that squad a, a bit more sort of belief in themselves moving forwards. Their only wins have come against struggling sides so far. Uh, they've got a good record in this fixture. You've got to go back to 2014 for the last time Millwall won at the Riverside. Right, let's move on to Berkshire, where Reading and the two-time European champions Nottingham Forest will meet. There's plenty to talk about Reading-wise here. As we mentioned, they've been hit with a six-point deduction for breaching financial rules. Uh, a further six points suspended until next season they were four points off the promotion places now they're only four points above the bottom three uh, Michelle if you if you're a Reading player we spoke about the Derby players and, and Clarkie saying well there'll be a, a sort of general acceptance of this because their fate is pretty much sealed it's got to be in a way much more annoying for the Reading players because they were looking up the table at the playoff places and that's gone now surely yeah but we knew this was coming it's been mooted for a couple of months hasn't it so Unfortunately, they probably were prepared and knew it was on the horizon. I don't think the playoffs have gone for them. I mean, I, I'm not sure if they've got the consistency. They're just, yeah, you never know what you're going to get with Reading. You know, they've they've won seven, lost nine. They've only drawn one game all season. So even at this point, you know, I, if you go on a run, I wouldn't say the playoffs are out of reach for them. But that said, yeah, it's, it's not where you want to be compared to a week ago. But... <laughs> Andy Carroll signing was the most surprising news. That was more surprising for me than the points deduction. Because I was like, sorry, what's happened here? And I had to like go and look it up. And yeah, he signed a short-term deal. If he proves to be successful, they can extend it. But he hasn't played a competitive fixture since May. Uh, that was the last time out for Newcastle against Sheffield United in the Premier League. But he said he's been keeping himself fit, waiting for the chance. 381 minutes in the last 18 months. So I'm not quite sure what Reading are going to get, but it's it's intriguing and fair enough. You know, if he wants to play football, he's going to play football. But yeah, just just wasn't expecting that. But um, they went into the international break on high, didn't they? They had four, four defeats in a row and then they beat Birmingham. So maybe they can take some positivity from that and, and signing a, a former England striker. Do you know what's more surprising than anything is that Andy Carroll hasn't retired. I mean, if ever there was a player that would have retired by now, it would have been Andy Carroll, right? I mean, I kind of thought he had. Um, they can't, they can't get him fit, Clarkie, can they? Between now and January, as Michelle said, he, he's played fewer than 400 minutes over 18 months. He, he's not going to be ready to play in the championship for the next six weeks, is he? No, he can get fit faster than that. No, he'll be okay. Andy Carroll? <laughs> well, whether you can keep him off the treatment table, yeah. Because the, one of the things about getting fit is that you have to work really hard and put your body under a bit of strain to get fit. And, and when that happens to Andy, bless him, he, things tend to go wrong, don't they? So, yeah, look, it'd be really interesting. It gives them a whole new dynamic if 
if if he can get fit and available. Because in the absence of Lucas Joao, uh, Mate as well, they they are really light, aren't they, up top? And a bit like Mitrovic. I mean, if he is in good nick, Andy Carroll, he, he, he wouldn't be the kind of striker championship defences fancy playing, would he? I don't so, know. Do you think he's comparable so I, to Mitrovic? I don't know. I thought no, Mitrovic... No, <laughs> like, the way not, not, right, not in the here and now. Well, maybe yeah, but, I'm going to eat my words, aren't I? In six months, Andy Carroll's the top scorer. He surpassed <laughs> Mitrovic. <laughs> no, no, that's not going to happen. But he, when you player. put the ball yeah. in the box, yeah. when you put the ball in the box, defenders are a bit scared of Mitrovic. Honestly, Andy Carroll is is quite fearsome. I think uh, centre forward to handle because he's so strong, so big, and yeah, I I, I wouldn't mock the signing, but it's definitely a, a risky one. It's an interesting one. I was feeling really confident, Adrian, with my um, forest hat on coming into this game until the points deduction. And then I thought, oh, well, Reading are bound to win it now, aren't they? They'll do what Derby did against Stoke. Uh, but looking looking all right now, Forrest, unbeaten in three since they got walloped by Fulham. That, that the only blot on the Steve Cooper copybook. And at this point, it's got to be more than new manager bounds. Yeah, good response, hasn't it, um, to, to that defeat? You're a really good away team, I think, Nottingham Forest. I'm beating the last six on the road. You sort of look well built for road trips, don't you, in terms of soaking up the pressure and then breaking hard and fast. Forest players seem to really embrace that that style. What was interesting with the Preston win was obviously the switch to the back four from from playing with wing backs. They went to four two three one, got Mighton, Zinkanago and Johnson in the team together behind Graben, I think that was to get another attacking player on the pitch because they really fancied their chances of beating Preston. So will that be the case moving forward in a match that they really want smell blood in? Will they, will they go with the back four and be a bit yeah play with the back three against the the stronger teams? And if so, where do you put Reading in in the grand scheme of things this weekend? So yeah, I'm just interested to see what formation Cooper goes with. But in general. I think it's a really good idea to be able to flip between the two seamlessly and, and last time out shows that they ca- kind of can do that. Yeah, whatever formation he's playing, he's, he's getting a tune out of Lewis Graben. Six goals in his last eight championship outings. Incredible what a player can do when you actually play the ball to him rather than just watch him wandering forlornly around the pitch trying to get a kick. Uh, head-to-head wise, Reading and beaten in the last five meetings home and away. Forest last win as the away side in the fixture. I was there this day. 2015. I had a look at it. It was so long ago we had Mikel Antonio playing up front. Uh, those were the days. <laughs> Whatever happened to him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Weird that he doesn't celebrate on international duty, by the way, Mikel Antonio. Do you see that? He scored for Jamaica and just kind of walked back to the halfway line. I'm like, where is there no cardboard cutout? Is there no <laughs> Matrix style thing here? Uh, disappointing. Uh, anyway, Abby, can you give us some odds, please, on those championship games that we've just spoken about with Paddy Power? Yeah, absolutely. Slightly raspy odds today, so I hope you can bear with that. We'll start at uh, the Majeski Stadium, or whatever it's actually called now. Uh, Reading are the narrow favourites in this game against Forest. They're two to one. Forest eleven to eight, and the draw twenty-one to ten. There up at the Riverside, uh, it's Middlesbrough who are the favourites here. Eleven to ten. Millwall thirteen to five, with the draw coming out at a nice twenty-one to ten. Thanks, Abby. We'll take a look at a couple of other weekend games that tickled our fancy next.
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Now then, in League One, if you like clubs with big reputations currently toiling in the division, then have I got the fixture for you. It's called Sunderland versus Ipswich Town. It goes down at the Stadium of Light this very weekend. Uh, Sunderland, two places and four points better off than Ipswich ahead of kickoff. But in terms of being in a good moment, as we like to say, Michelle, uh, they are certainly not. No, I mean, they're coming up against Ipswich, who are ninth, but one loss in the last 10 games in all competitions. They're going to Sunderland, who are seventh. You look at the table and not the form, you'd be thinking, oh, well, Sunderland are the favourites, but Sunderland haven't won in six matches. I feel for Lee Johnson because he is known or was known at times at Bristol City as Streaky Lee um, because... At times, Bristol City went on these runs and they just could not get out of them. They couldn't find a win for love nor money. So, I don't know. It seems to be something that's starting to follow him around a little bit. Sunderland fans would probably be able to tell us more on their opinion and their feelings on it. But I know that he is forensic. Maybe, you know, so specific about things. We talked about it before. So specific and his mind will not be switching off from what is going on at the moment. He's... He probably wouldn't mind us saying that he's obsessed. So whatever is happening and going wrong at Sunderland at the moment, he's leaving no stone unturned to try and get it right. But I know Sunderland aren't where they were hoping or where they'd expect to be. Uh, on the plus side, injuries seem to be clearing up a little bit for them. Ross Stewart, Alex Pritchard might be available for this, though Aiden McGeady is set to miss out. Uh, Ipswich, Clarkie, the, the, the turnaround from the start of the season to now has been, been more dramatic than the, the change in Paul Cook's voice from the start of a post-match interview to the end of it. <laughs> yeah, look, they're ahead of, uh, across the last 10 games, Ipswich are, are better than Sunderland. They've, they've accrued more points and they're, they're the fifth best team across the last 10 games. So that shows that it's been a steady sort of incline that they've gone up. Definitely making less mistakes. We talked when they were having a bad time. I think I, I remember getting getting some stats out of the old suitcase and, and wheeling them out about how the metrics were so strong for them in attack and in defence and that sooner or later it will balance out. And, and I think that's kind of what's happened. They've stopped conceding really silly goals, stopped making mistakes and yeah, the forwards have begun to gel, which was to be expected, I guess. So... Headed in the right direction, Ipswich. They, clearly, they're going to have bumps in the road. They're not perfect, but they might smell blood here. I think that for Sunderland, it was a good time to have the international break because they were shocking, weren't they, in the 3-0 loss at Sheffield Wednesday. I mean, no one no one lets in three against Sheffield Wednesday, do they? That's, that was a really unexpected 
result. So so Ipswich will go there smelling blood, but yeah, I think it'll be a tight game. I really do. Um, Neil Neil obviously last weekend when I said there'd be goals and you said historically there are no goals <laughs> when it's Ipswich Oxford. That's how it turned out. Um, I can see another low scoring game here potentially. Um, one player I would want to pick out though for Ipswich that's been really good lately and that's the centre-back George Edmondson, former um, Rangers player of course under Gerard Oldham before that. Yeah, he's he's really settled into it and uh, yeah, his battle with Ross Stewart I think will, will maybe be the defining jewel of the game. Whoever comes out on top in that particular 50-50 might, might end up on the winning team. Uh, before we move on from League One, over on our new podcast, In the Boardroom, Jackie Oatley's been speaking with Ashley Brown, the chairman of the Portsmouth Supporters Trust, about how they saved the club from going bust. Here's a taste of that. How close did Pompey come to going out of business completely? Hours. Hours. On a number of occasions, I think the one point that was closest is Trevor Birch, the administrator, gave us a call and said, right now, I don't have enough money to fulfil certain commitments and if you want this administration to continue you're going to have to help fund it and some of the wealthier Pompey fans that had shipped in at that point in time those guys dug into their pockets and pulled together a certain amount of money that Trevor said he needed to continue the administration and that kept Pompey alive if they hadn't have done that the club would have disappeared and to be fair to those guys they did that with no expectation of ever getting the money back the best they had was that if we were successful to take over, then that money would be converted to equity for them. And if it wasn't for that, the club would have disappeared. I mean, say disappeared, we already had a plan B. We had a whole team of people looking at Phoenix Pompey should the worst case scenario happen. So Pompey would have survived, but we'd have probably started again at the bottom of the football pyramid and we'd be fighting our way back up. Does your heart miss a beat when you think about that? I can't imagine really can't imagine life without Pompey. I mean, I've not known anything else other than sort of supporting Pompey and go and watch the team on a Saturday, even if I don't make every single game these days. It's a huge part of my life. And it's not just me. It's a huge part of lots of people's lives. And you saw that at Bury recently and Macclesfield, where clubs have disappeared. And at Bury, they've had to start again. At Macclesfield, they've had to start again. That getting torn from people's lives, you know, people were left in in tatters and people in, in emotional distress. I can't imagine what that must be like. I got close to having to imagine it, but luckily I haven't had to go through it like some of the guys at Bury and Macclesfield and others have. To hear the whole interview, search for In the Boardroom, available in all good pod shops and ad-free on the Athletic app. Uh, right, on Monday's pod, we spoke to Newport boss James Robry. Go back and have a listen if you missed it. Uh, Robry and the Exiles welcome Swindon to Rodney Parade on Saturday. Only goal difference separates the two in the playoff places ahead of kickoff. League Wise County unbeaten in seven. They've won their last three. It was interesting, Michelle, when, when we spoke to Robry on Monday and we were talking about managerial jobs, he, he mentioned the Cardiff one as well. He's clearly not short of ambition. He did say that, that Newport haven't set a target of promotion, but given the start he's had, it, it's difficult to argue that that'll be their aim from now on. Yeah, it was interesting listening to him talk about his role at Cardiff and how he transitioned to being in charge of Newport. It seems that that's been quite seamless for him because, you know, he's got such an association with the club, as we heard, and how he knows so many faces. You know, it's just, I guess when you're transitioning into a job like that and you see people around that you know, it must be really reassuring and comforting. You feel at home straight away. And he loves the club, you can tell. And yeah, three wins in a row. 
they've been fantastic since he's taken over. And, you know, they weren't doing badly under Mike Flynn. And let's not forget, they don't have the biggest budget in the league. But, yes, yeah, super impressed with them since he's, he's come in. 26 points from 16 games so far is a fantastic return. And even though Swindon Town have the game in hand this weekend... I think by now, like in November, we can start talking about six-pointers because you might be looking at games like this at the end of the season and say, oh, they're the ones you look back on. They say they don't look back on them, but I'm convinced, Adrian, that, that teams do because at this moment in, in time, this is key and the shift of momentum for either team to get the three points is huge. But big credit to James Robery in his early days. He's getting a tune out of his team and by the sounds of it, reading local media, the performances have been there as well. I mean, to go to Hartlepool and get that away win on a Friday night, a cold Friday night in November... I thought was super impressive. Dom Telford in the 93rd minute, you know, they're all going to be buzzing from that. But let's not remember, let's not forget in the Papa John's a few weeks ago, Swindon did get the better of Newport, but probably much changed teams for this weekend, I'd imagine. Uh, The big news out of Rodney Parade ahead of this one is that Newport will be selling pints of Guinness for £3.50 between 12.30 and 2 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, If, like me, you recently paid £7.10 for a pint in London, you will appreciate the value. On offer there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, what what a sad state of affairs where we're, we're celebrating. Uh, I know, £3.50 is not even that cheap, one, is one it? £1.90 for a pint of Foster's. No, £1.70 for a pint of Foster's when I was in uni. £1.70 <laughs> in the student bar. I used to work at a night in a bar when I was at uni called Pounded, where any drink yeah. was a pound. And uh, yeah, that was pretty irresponsible <laughs> looking back on it. Um, here's something about Swindon I wasn't expecting to say. Gareth Barry has been charged by the FA over alleged breaches of intermediary regulations. The FA said further to the existing proceedings, the FA has also charged Gareth Barry in relation to breaches of the FA's regulations on working with intermediaries. It's alleged uh, that this is to do with him and the former ownership of Swindon Town. Lee Powell has also been charged uh, with this. More on it. As it develops on the pitch, though, Adrian, things developing quite nicely for Ben Garner and his Robins. One, six on the spin away from home in all comps, yet to lose on their travels this season. This ought to be a really interesting game then. Definitely, yeah. Two, two really bright young coaches. I'm glad, glad you didn't ask me about Gareth Barry's uh, situation. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> got to tread carefully there. But yeah, in, in the league alone, best away record, six wins, two draws, no defeats and they're such a curious team because Swindon have the second worst points return at home which is bizarre when you think that they are the best passing team in the division they knock it around so well keep it for long periods they've they've got the best open play expected goals rate of any team in in league two so they should be much better at home just for whatever reason it seems to suit them playing playing away from the county ground um, maybe because they've got pace. Obviously, Tyree Simpson up front. McCurdy and Payne are really good travelling with the ball at their feet. And then they're among the, the, the players in the division with the most ball carries. So they, so maybe it, they're just the sort of side that, that are suited to, to maybe running into the extra space you, you occasionally get on the road. So, yeah, look, I think it'll be a cracking game. Both managers are always changing the system and the shape as well. One week it's a back four, one week it's a back three. Uh, ben Garner's been very much like that of late. So uh, so we don't know what we're going to get tactically. It could turn into a bit of a chess match. It could turn out to be yeah, a really sort of aesthetically pleasing League 2 encounter. But yeah, one thing I do know, if, if Newport County win this game, that will be 
that crossroads moment that Michelle was hinting at there, they'll think, well, if we can beat the team's best away side at home, we must be decent and, and they'll be looking looking at maybe automatic promotion and not just the playoffs Newport County. So it looks like a close game. Abby, what are Paddy Power saying about the odds in that and some League One stuff, please? We'll start in League Two as that's what we've just been talking about. And uh, Newport are actually the favourites in this one. So that crossroads moment could happen. I've just got Blazing Squad in my head. Just me? Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, they are Newport are 13 to 10 to go through that one with Swindon 2 to 1. The draw 21 to 10, heading back up to League One and over to the Stadium of Light. It is Sunderland who are the favourites in that one. Very similar odds. They, in fact, the exact same odds. They are. Ah, you'd think I'd plan this. Uh, it's 13 to 10 for Sunderland to win, 2 to 1 for Ipswich to win, and 23 to 10 for that draw. Thanks, Abby. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. And when the fun stops, stop. All right, before we go, listener, I know you're all over the Matlock Town FC Twitter page, so you'll have seen their tweet on Wednesday, which read, Ex-Sheffield United, Alfreton Town and Harrogate Town defender Terry Kennedy, who had his playing career cut short by injury, checking his lottery ticket and having it confirmed he's won £1 million is a really lovely moment. Let's hear that now. I can confirm that you have won £1 million. Simple question to finish then. Clarky, you've won a million pounds. What are you doing with it? It's it's not the same as it was winning a million pounds in the 70s, but it's still a reasonable sum of money. <laughs> I'd take it, definitely. I'd, I'd take, take it. Do you know what? The first... <laughs> I would take it. The uh, the first thing that I would do is not tell anybody. I think I think I wouldn't be public. <laughs> I, would, I would be keeping it secret if I won if I won that kind of money on the lottery. I'd obviously be tempted to invest in Sam's social media company for footballers. That would be a, a temptation. Um, I was working it out. You could even have a ten pound acre. You could spend it on a ten pound acre that would last you every weekend. For 1,920 years, which I thought was quite interesting. <laughs> that would give us time to win one of our rackers in that period as well, wouldn't it? Probably not. In, in all seriousness, I never know what to buy. It, I just don't... I'd never want anything. I'm, I'm one of those oh people. I'd definitely spend it on, on sort of four good holidays a year. That'd be awesome. But from a sort of um, silly EFL perspective, I, I was thinking about what I would do. Do you know what I'd do? I would buy my way in to Ipswich Town. That's what I would do. Like I would sort of pay someone off or like, I, I don't know, I would sort Cookie out to step aside or or just pay Ipswich to get me in um, because I think they're in for a great journey under the under the current leadership. Yeah, buy my way into being Cookie's assistant, something like that. All right, we'll have a word with Ed Sheeran and, and see what he can do. That's it, yeah, yeah we'll tap him up. Uh, Michelle, what are you doing with a million big ones? Um buying a house <laughs> because it's really really boring but um we're trying to move at the moment we've been at it for like five months and we've lost two houses we love so we could keep the house we have now and buy another one and have a load of money left over with that money left over i would find a way of levitating home after evening games because the state of the roads in the evening <laughs> oh, i sound old but the state of the roads in the evening we all know it <laughs> traveling back from a game they closed the M4 after the Wales game on uh, Tuesday evening. And instead of taking 50 minutes to get home, it took over two hours. So oh, maybe actually, maybe with a million pounds, I could buy my way in into the roads agency or whatever they're called 
And ban road closures at night. There you go. Changed my mind three times there. Hey, what? What? Using financial clout to lobby for rule changes that that, that uh, might that be convenient right, to you. That that doesn't happen, does yeah. it? <laughs> Please welcome the new Secretary of State for Education, Michelle Owen. Um, quite quite easy for me. Uh, I'm taking my million pounds out in unmarked fifty pound notes. I'm putting them in a suitcase. I'm driving up to Middlesbrough and I'm saying to Chris Wilder, "You take these." Forrest can keep Jed Spence and we'll call it quits. How about that? <laughs> um, pretty simple, I think. Uh, anyway, I'm sure there'll be a story on uh, lucky old Terry Kennedy on The Athletic at some point, uh, given that that's very, very athletic on brand content. That'll do us for today. Then many thanks to Michelle and to Adrian and to Abby and to Frida for joining us earlier and to Matt Taylor. Sorry, that was not the totally curse that struck you, Matt. It is just one of those things that happened. Uh, we'll be back on Monday to pick through the best of the EFL action from the weekend. Do join us then if you can. Until then, have a great weekend. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.